Okay, you ready? You recording? Yep, I'm recording. We got that last little bit about showing shout out to Tana, but I'm sure that'll be edited out. But we're live. <laughs> we're 30 seconds live. Live. Awesome. We're not live. We're recording is what we mean. We're recording. Okay, so we're just going to get go ahead and get started. Most of the time when we have a guest, we meet like five minutes before mm-hmm. and we just kind of start up and start talking. But today we are actually recording live, everyone. We, um, I got the chance to come to Wichita, which I don't normally get that chance. So this is exciting. But today we have um, Jim Mason on. I always do a little intro and your intro is going to be one of the longest intros I've ever done because Jim has done so many things in his life. Um, He studied at KU. Uh, He got a BS in biology in 1975. And just so fun fact, everyone knows they didn't even have the Bachelor of Science degree at KU when he started. Him and his cohorts were so interested and so involved in the biology department that they actually made the separate degree program for them. And so that's how we got the Bachelor of Science in Biology, which is crazy to me. (laughs) They don't have the degree, so you invent it. Yeah, so they're like, these kids are so interested. Let's invent this degree. (laughs) So yes, he um, was one of the first people to get that degree program at KU, which is crazy. Um, He worked for the Wichita Parks Department for 39 years. He was eventually the director and one of the founding members of the Great Plains Nature Center. You are the author of Wichita's Riverside Parks, the Images of America series, the Wichita Postcard History series. You're the co-author of Pocket Guide to Kansas Freshwater Mussels and the Pocket Guide to Common Kansas Butterflies. Um, And I'm, do you have any other books that I'm missing? Those are the main ones? No, I uh, three years as director, I was editing the Pocket Guide series. You were editing all of them. Okay. And and there was a a few titles that came out first while I was uh, in that position. So Mm -hmm. I kind of embraced those as well. Yeah. The, there's 12 pocket, 16. 16 pocket guides now. Oh, yeah, because Lindsay Ryan, she did one over mushrooms. Yeah. Um, just so everyone knows, if you're interested in any of these pocket guides, you can get one free at the Great Plains Nature Center anytime you visit. Um, there are a great resource if you are interested in anything Um, in the natural world outside your home. But um, along with being an author of all those books, he's uh, been a lifelong naturalist. He's a historian. You're a motorcyclist. You're a bicyclist. I mean, you kind of do it all. (laughs) I I do a bunch. Yeah, you do a bunch. And uh, I did want to ask before we got started, um, you're biking across to Kansas. Did you do that? Yeah. You did that? Okay. There was an article that pulled up about it in 2019, I think someone wrote, but they didn't say if you had gone on to do it. So I wanted to ask about it. I actually uh, did it in 2019 and this year, 2023. Wow. Now tell everyone what that is. uh, Well, it started in 1975. It's been going on for a long time. Okay. Um, And so it's a well-organized trans-state bicycle ride Mm -hmm. uh, where up to 800 people can sign up for this. Um, And that number varies from year to year depending upon the route and whatever else is going on. But... um, um, they pick up your stuff, take it from one night to the next. Typically, you stay on the grounds of the local high school at these little cities as you go across the state. And wow. So you've got access to their showers. Uh-huh. Um, and um, a lot of the meals are uh, fundraiser events along the way for lunch, dinner, whatever. Um, and you get to meet all kinds of people mm-hmm. as well as get to see this this great beautiful state from coast to coast so that that's it's just really nice uh in 19 uh, it was a northern route we went from goodland to atchison okay and i don't quite you know to, in all honesty i don't quite count that because i broke a spoke on my rear wheel <laughs> on my high school graduation present 10 speed that i was riding that year <laughs> and uh, they, they've got a, a um, a mechanics crew that goes along with to fix things and they took one look at my bicycle and said oh, we don't have the free wheel remover for that old bicycle oh, he said i've got two of them i can point right to them in my mind on the wall in the shop but i didn't bring them with me and to my fault i have one i could have brought it with me it's just a little thing about the size of a lug nut mm-hmm. but i thought well surely i won't need it <clears throat> so i was off i was off the ride for a day and a half um we were able to go to the bike shop in Manhattan, get it fixed, 
and then I got back on the, um, the ride the middle of the next day. So in all honesty, I didn't do the whole thing. Well, this year I did the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> this year we went from Elkhart to Pleasanton, which was kind of from the southwest corner to the middle of the eastern border. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was, it was a real enjoyable uh, 550 miles in eight days. He, Garrett, it was training for a triathlon mm-hmm. for a long time. So he's very familiar with the hour spent on the bike. That's a lot <laughs> of miles, yeah. man. And that's impressive. Before we go any further... Welcome to the show. We're your hosts. Uh, we're two. Oh, yeah. m- usually, you're much less interesting hosts than our guests. Uh, but I'm Garrett. With me, as always, is Brianna. Yes. Real treat for us. Not really you guys, but we are in person today. Yeah. Not only with Brianna and I together, but our guest as well. Um, yeah. And I had to chime in because I just knew we were going to get a lot of super interesting stories. Yeah. <laughs> we were e- going to easily get off track yeah well that's kind of the whole goal of the podcast (laughs) is to get off track but we had to we trying to get better at introducing ourselves with every episode if you're just joining us so welcome to the show yes and like we said we have jim mason on so um when it comes to i just have what before we finish out the biking across kansas you i don't remember when i worked for you so in case anyone doesn't know i worked at great plains nature center when i was going to college so like 2015 through 2018 that's when you were the director um Yeah, you retired when I was there. I feel very privileged to have um, put together his retirement slideshow. So I got to see lots of photos of Jim um, in his motorcycle outfits and, you know, with his long hair and his wham, you know, (laughs) albums he had and stuff. So, yes, but that's how I am um, familiar with Jim. And um, but with the biking across Kansas, I don't remember you doing that. So you got started on that after you retired. Yeah, I, I, I rode a bicycle um, all through my years at KU. Okay. And uh, people who know Lawrence, I can impress them with saying that I used to be able to have the legs to ride up 14th Street. Okay. That's, it's some hills. <laughs> um, but uh, it, and when I got into motorcycles in the early 80s, my bicycle kind of languished in one corner of the garage and it would pine and give me wistful looks every time mm. every once in a while. <laughs> wistful and then a- after I um, after I retired, um, that 2018 after I retired, um, I decided, well, I'll see what I got here. And so I pulled the thing out, I cleaned it up. The tires still seemed to be in good shape. Everything seemed to be lubricated. So I took it out for a ride. At that time, I didn't have a, an app. Mm-hmm. Since I've gotten on Strava and I can record these things. But I just got out a city map and I added up the miles roughly as far as I'd gone on that little ride, and I'd gone about nine or 10 miles, and the legs are saying, is that all you got? <laughs> and you can so, do better. Uh, yeah, and so I, um, I got back into it, and then I, I'd always known about Bike Across Kansas. That had always been kind of one of these bucket list kind of things in my mind, and so I, I started training pretty seriously, and eventually had to replace those tires, <laughs> and um, I did it in 2019, at least to the extent that yeah, it just goes yeah. with a bike that what how from the early seventies. Yeah, you did a, that is the that's impressive to me. Like, what was that bike even made of? Like aluminum? Uh, no, no, it was a it was a steel frame. Oh god, <laughs> even heavier. But you know, it, it was a ten speed, so it was it was fairly lightweight. Mm-hmm. Um, in contrast to the one I rode this year, which was a a Trek Marlin, which is kind of an entry level mountain bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it was an aluminum frame, but it's large diameter and I've got, don't have big fat tires on it, but there, there's some, there's some weight there. On that. <laughs> and I've got a, a luggage thing in behind my seat and a couple of places people looked at that thing and said, you got the kitchen sink in there? And I said, well, I forgot it this time, but I've got about everything else. <laughs> so, um, it, it did give me good momentum on the downhill. I'll, mm. I'll say that, but I had to earn it on the uphill. Um, <laughs> And the, the very last day of, of Bike Across Kansas this year was when they really threw the, the dirt at us. We had three 5% grade hills. And, you know, you really, it, it was just killer going up them. But on, on at least one of those, I hit a personal record top end of 38 and a half miles an hour. So, wow. Holy moly, that's uh, fast. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I tell people when you're... When you're 100 yards past the bottom of the hill and there's still no point in pedaling, you know you're going fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's scary going fast on like that fast on a 
well, with with no protection like yeah. surrounding you you know you're just staring at the pavement and you just kind of oh. like want to get closer and closer to mm-hmm. i don't know it's no i actually i'm looking about <laughs> 50 feet ahead to make sure that there's no truck holes so you mentioned fat tires that begs the question is it like a hybrid of like a gravel and road or is it all mostly gravel mostly road is it pretty bak is all road okay yeah. that's okay. pretty nice then that's good to know and, uh, yeah so I, I enjoyed it and then this year like i say it's 50th anniversary and i assume they're going to do something or 2024 i mean it's 50th anniversary i assume they're going to do something special they always announce the route and open it up for uh enrollment on kansas day which is at the end of january mm-hmm. so you know i've i've <clears throat> don't tell the wife, but I've, I've marked it off on my calendar, um, and we'll see whether I sign up for it or not. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a special one, man. 50th anniversary, though. Yeah. Makes me, like, what time of year does this happen usually? Is Second it... week of June. Second okay, so, of June. so usually we get, like, a south wind kind of at you then that time of year, yeah, more yeah, so than not. Usually. Um, um, and I, I didn't do it in 22. And I had signed up for it, but then I had a conflict, so I backed out of it. But I still kept the jersey because the jersey is gorgeous. It's got sunflowers on it. Oh, uh, that's cool. Really neat. So, um, but those people just died that year because it was hot, humid, yeah. windy every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, second week of June can be miserable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, the year in 2019, it was neat because there was uh, three different fronts that came through that week. Mm-hmm. And they politely all came through in the nighttime so that they, whatever rain they had happened mm-hmm. before we were in our tent. And then they had cool weather on the backside of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the whole week, the only day that it got up in the 80s was the very last day. Wow. You're in the 60s and 70s riding across oh, Kansas. That, that was perfect. Beautiful. Yeah, I was going to say, there's nothing better. And uh, this year, um, coming up from Elkhart to Dodge City, on the second day, there was a fairly brisk breeze out of the northwest mm-hmm. and so it was kind of a quartering headwind for that 70 mile day from um satanta to uh spearville and people were complaining about that and yeah and uh, then when you get to dodge city there's there's quite a climb that you have to do to get from dodge city up to 50 highway where you can go on to spearville and at the end of that day, to do that climb, that, that got to be a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And you said only 800 people are allowed to sign up? Yeah, that's, I guess, logistically, that's where they figure it out. Okay. Does anyone, it wasn't anywhere near that many this year. How, what percentage of people would you say finish, if Most not all? Really? Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, you can sign up for three days or whatever you want. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. And if people are um, curious about finding more information, where can they go? BAK.org. BAK.org. Yeah, link. Yeah, they got yeah, in early and that URL. <laughs> yeah. Before some hurry up, hurry up, smash the door. <laughs> um, well, as we could talk about so many things here, I did want to ask the, because obviously for me, what's fascinating to me about you, Bob Gress, Lord Beck, you know, all of them, is how you guys started and founded the Great Plains Nature Center. I kind of want to know, I guess, more about that, the history behind how that happened, because um, I don't know if anyone else has dreams like I do. I would like to start a nature center in my backyard, and the task of doing that is daunting, because where do you start? So I'm interested to hear kind of the history behind that. Well, I have to give full faith and credit to Bob Gress. He came in as the second city park naturalist. Okay. About the time that I started working in um, 1978. Okay. Um, and he had a, a good ally in terms of the person who became the park's director after he started, Frank Smith. Okay. Um, and Frank Smith had been a landscape architect, and so he had kind of a broader view of what a park department could be. Mm-hmm. Now, typically, your parks directors are somebody who comes from the recreation field. They're, mm-hmm. they're jocks, to be a <laughs> to give it a term, <laughs> semi-pejorative term, <laughs> oriented towards athletic and public recreation, which is all a good thing. Mm-hmm. But um, so Frank had kind of a broader view of what a park department could be, and Bob approached him with the notion of starting an urban nature education program. 
which became the Wichita Wild Program. Okay. Bob knew a guy who had done some branding exercises and they came up with the concept of the Wichita Wild. And um, so there was this urban education program and then um, something happened. I was working at the Little Zoo in Riverside Park and the guy I had been working under who had started there in the late 50s, he retired, and I became in charge of the place but also at the same time as seems to happen about every 15 years, the city thinks, well, maybe we should tear that place down. Yeah, they've done that <laughs> multiple times. It's still there, right? right. Yes, yeah. okay. And so, uh, um, as, as always happens, the uh, public uh, speaks up and says, no, we want to keep that. Mm -hmm. And um, But the facilities there were old and really needed renovation or replacement. And so that's when the Kansas Wildlife Exhibit got created. Mm. And since I was working there, and Bob came over and talked to me and to Connie, um, the other Connie. Oh, really? <laughs> I remember Connie. Connie. Yeah, uh, Connie Evers, and then um, I, I'm not remembering her last name, but um, <laughs> one thing had changed. He got married and divorced twice. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> but um, so he came over and had a discussion with both of us, and he learned that I had a biology degree and had some interest in doing major education, and so um, he saw me as an ally to go forward on that. And um, so I actually, I didn't physically design this 60 foot on a side cube with 12 foot high and 16 foot high or 18 foot high portions, mm -hmm. but I laid out the interior of the mm -hmm. Kansas Wildlife Exhibit. And then I started doing education programs, and that's actually the, the root of this Riverside Parks book is I made my first um, assignment to myself was to create a new program to tell the story of what we had just done in terms of creating the Kansas Wildlife Exhibit mm -hmm. and couching that in terms of what, what I came to learn was uh, almost 100 years of history that had been there yeah. for multiple generations, actually beginning in 1902. And so um, this, you know, this started out as a 35 millimeter slide program and then that became a PowerPoint and eventually it became that book. But at any rate, um, so we had a, um, the Kansas Wildlife Exhibit got going. We had a place where we could keep animals for program purposes in addition to the ones that Bob kept in his backyard. <laughs> what yeah. animals did Bob keep in his backyard? He had a golden eagle and a great horned owl. Oh wow. my gosh. <laughs> do, you have, do you have permits? Did you right. have to have permits back oh, yeah. then? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I'm just making sure. <laughs> yeah, Can't rat him out if he doesn't either. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is a public show. Eagle. Yeah, Golden Eagle. Yeah, yeah the Golden Aquila was the name of the Golden Eagle. It was a, a wing shot bird that didn't have full flight capabilities. Oh. Um, and it got lost to, um, oh, what was that? Um, that was, was uh, not Zika, but the other disease that the mosquitoes brought in that was killing the birds of prey. Mm -hmm. and, and it got lost to that, but it was he had over two decades of work with that. It was it was a great bird. I got to work with it a few times. Mm -hmm. um, you always have to carry up a um, walking stick with you when you work with the golden eagle because you just heavy. can't hold it out mm -hmm. there on the edge of your arm. You have to hold yourself that weight up with a walking stick. So, at any rate, um, there was an urban nature education program which Wild, well, which had no nature center. Mm. Did not have a physical facility to bring people to. All we could do was take critters in the classroom or pe take people on guided nature hikes in Pawnee Prairie or Chisholm Park. Or those are the two places that were an option. Mm -hmm. And so um, Bob approached the, the state. I, th I think that's how this started with the notion of having a partnership. The state, as it, as it turned out, had an interest in uh, They wanted a new facility to house the regional office. They were located in a a pretty sleazy, hand-me-down building up on North Broadway. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for a new office for their regional uh, facilities. And they also had an interest in the urban nature education program. And so uh, there was some initial discussions, but the combined pockets of those two were not uh, deep enough to bring off the, the, the facility. At that time, <clears throat> you know, you talk about the right people in the right place. You've got Bob Grass, you've got Frank Smith, at the time, uh, Mike Hayden was the governor. Mike Hayden has a degree in wildlife biology from K-State. 
He was the governor of Kansas at the time? And had experience with the agency. I can't tell you how important it mm-hmm. is when you have your upper management, I mean, executive mm-hmm. branches who have a background in nature education mm-hmm. or nature in general. Because I've worked for a nature center who had a corporate director. She came from a corporate background. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how hard it is to do your job. But anyways. So um, Mike Hayden, he gets on the phone to Bob Dole. Here's a fourth person. And um, Bob Dole made some inquiries and discovered that the Fish and Wildlife Service also had an interest in doing urban nature education. Mm -hmm. And so with that third partner, the city, the state, and the feds together come together, sign a memorandum of agreement. The feds had enough money and wherewithal to bring off the project. And so that was how the initial partnership occurred. Mm -hmm. And then where do you put it? Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be at Pawnee Prairie. We looked at Chisholm Park and decided to put it at Chisholm Park. Um, there was a, a corner of the park um, at the southeast corner there, actually the northwest corner of 29th and Woodlawn. At that time, it was it was out of the park. Mm. Uh, the feds bought most of it, uh, leaving the very corner, um, which we crossed our fingers for years that that would not become a quick trip. And eventually, the, the guys who owned that corner agreed to I think they sold it at a greatly discounted price to the feds and then wrote the rest off as a tax deduction or something. So we finally acquired that corner, the very edge of the intersection, to keep it from becoming some type of a strip mall or whatever. Yeah, I know. Developed. It's even right across the street now from that Home Depot, is it? Oh, is that what I'm thinking oh, of? Oh, that's on the that same well, corner. That's, that's other side, the, yeah. Oh, I got Okay, I'm backwards. Yeah. I see. I forgot the block. But um, at any rate, and. <laughs> And because at that time, Woodlawn was kind of this sleepy little two-lane road, and we knew that's not going to stay that way. So um, we created the, the wetland extension through the, the middle of the park there and used the excavation to create those berms along the west side mm-hmm. of, of Woodlawn, which encouraged all kinds of trees to grow on to make a visual and a sound barrier with the traffic that we knew was coming from mm-hmm. Woodlawn to enhance the uh, nature of quality of, of Chisholm Creek Park. So um, um, had the first uh, show full of dirt uh, turned in 94, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of the people pushing a golden shovel. In addition, we had, um, <laughs> so had we brought in a bunch of kids because, you know, there's the focus on, on education. So mm-hmm. each one of us adults had a kid helping us push a shovel on the ground. And there's, Bob's got photos of that. It's cute. Um, <laughs> Had some speech vacation, Bob Dole would make a presentation, and mm-hmm. people spoke from the city and the state, and the Sierra Club had a presentation as well in support of the whole thing. And so um, we were ready to move in in 96. We actually moved in in the early part of 96. Uh, the exhibits weren't done yet. Um, and we were in contract. There was a firm in Seattle that was contracted to make the exhibits. There were, um, the winter of 96, 97 was an extraordinary one in the Seattle area. They had a lot of, you know, there used to rain up there. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of wet snow, heavy wet snow. And there was a big snowfall overnight this one one day. And um, literally the roof collapsed on this on this farm. They were located in a brick town, an old warehouse district on the edge of town somewhere. The roof fell in on them. They declared bankruptcy. The lawyers got involved and it got ugly. And so I uh, had to re-rack the whole thing, went with a, a different um, design firm, uh, the Rival Corporation, to recreate, to start over again. Mm-hmm. And so we were finally able to hold our grand opening on um, Labor Day weekend of 2000. That's uh-huh. when we finally got open. And that weekend, um, you know, this I think this has happened some more times since then. But you know we're, we're quite a quite a long ways away from the river. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that weekend there was a bald eagle that was circling overhead. And we at the Labor Day weekend, that, you know, you, you expect to see those things in the winter time more than you see them in early September. So we took that as a sign that we were doing all right. The bald eagle came in and kind of blessed us. Oh, I love up. that. Keep it up, guys. Keep it up. Doing great. So, and Bob was the founding director, and then um, he retired. And, uh, 2013, 2014, I guess it was. Lori Beck took over the next. A couple and, years. Um, well, I think my, I guess I got that. Yeah. 
Lori Beckman's. I, I took over in 2014 through 2017. Mm -hmm. Lori Beck was a few years before that, and then Bob before that. Mm, okay. <laughs> that just is fascinating to me. I love how all the agencies came together to do that. Now, with retrospection, mm -hmm. do you think that was the best way to go forward? Do you think it was... Or because you guys also have the Friends of the Great Plains Nature Center, which is the nonprofit portion. That, that started in 98. 98. Okay. So most nature centers, well, at least the ones I've worked, they're all nonprofit based. Mm -hmm. They don't really have any government agencies involved. Do you think with retrospection that was still the best way to do it? It was the only way to do it. Yeah, because of the funds. <clears throat> and uh, each of the, I mean, like I said, we had the good people, right people in the right places. And everybody had the, the goodwill and the vision, the eyes on the prize to realize this uh, goal of having a quality urban nature education center in the biggest city in the state of Kansas, and that's mm -hmm. what happened. And looked at it properly, each organization came to use that as a feather in their hat, saying, mm -hmm. you know, this is something that we have done. Mm -hmm. and, and continue to and, do. And nobody needs to take or needs to take full responsibility saying this is mine it's mm -hmm. not so much anybody else's but uh, it, that, it, I think that's the way it continues to work is that each cooperative partner can use that as as a point that they can brag on but you know it, it's also a, a cooperation mm -hmm. it's incredible <laughs> and um, as, as a director um, under whoever's got the director um, Fully knows the, the meaning of the term herding cats. Herding cats. <laughs> because, um, you know, Each agency being a cat? <laughs> there are, no, all, all the people there. Oh. Because um, I was a city employee, so I did not have direct supervisory role with any of the state or federal or even AmeriCorps people. Which I, I was in the AmeriCorps role. Yeah. And so... Um, and, and when Lori was there, she was a federal employee, so she didn't have direct say-so over me or any of the state people. Mm -hmm. And now Amanda's there as a city employee, so she's kind of back in, in the shoes that I was in. Mm -hmm. And so um, you, you just, again, you, you, you work collegially. Mm -hmm. You try to keep everything positive and upbeat. You try to encourage <laughs> your, your partners to work towards a common goal, and, and you, you have the... The conversations and um, you do the hard work necessary to get that done. Mm -hmm. I was going to leave a space in case you wanted to ask questions because I have more. <laughs> I, I want to. Well, I, you, this was, I think, you mentioned before the actual, like, building or inception of the actual Great Plains Nature Center, but like the idea, the Wichita Wild stuff. Like, I, my girlfriend and I, we currently live in Riverside Park and we love it. Um, we'll get, I'm super stoked to get to the history of that little area in just a little bit. Um, but I also grew up like playing golf at Sim Park Golf Course. That's kind of that in that Riverside area too. And I see little signs posted all over the place. I can picture it in my head now. It's like a little brown and white sign mm -hmm. and it has an owl on it and it just said Wichita Wilds, you know, mm -hmm. and like the little trail or park where we walk Margie, our lab, mm -hmm. just signs are like got the owl and it's called Wichita Wilds. I was more curious as to like what that means. Like what is that? Is it designated? In today's. In, like, in today's, yeah. yeah like, you so know. So when someone sees it. Mm -hmm, like these, these Wichita Wild designated areas, like those are the places you took your, your your students or you know the, the people who wanted to explore these these Wichita naturalist programs that's where you'd have to take them is that what those were designated for originally well it was it's more of a habitat management tool okay um, we um, Bob and I in setting these up Bob initially and then me later on um, just looked at the places that had the best of what this area had to offer in terms of natural wildlife and mm -hmm. such, mm -hmm. or the potential to return it that way. And so um, it, it's a way for the park department to have a different, they use a different suite of tools to manage these areas. You know, they're, they're not going to become a golf course or tennis courts or, you know, anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not hands-off management. You, you mm -hmm. Nonetheless, you still have to, you 
have to control noxious weeds. If it's got native prairie in it, you can't just let it go because trees will come in and take over and mm -hmm. you don't have the native prairie anymore. So you have to control the brush somehow, either with mowing or prescribed burns. You guys still have a problem with privet? Um, not privet, uh, bush honeysuckle, you mean? Bush honeysuckle, maybe that's what I'm thinking oh, of. That's, yeah, that's a huge issue. It that's, is, okay. This makes me think of, a, a, how about a little callback to a previous episode, we were talking about the use of, that Riverside has seen recently, the use of herds of goats being released oh, into yeah, these Wichita wild that. areas to clean up the brush. It's like you were saying, you know, but this time without the use of gas-powered machines and manpower, they're just letting these goats go and hang out for a couple days and they sweep that place clean. It's impressive. Yeah, um, and it's 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 only a first step. Yeah. Um, those, the, the bush hunting circle, which they chewed down, will come back from the roots mm -hmm. and it'll, they'll have to either follow it up with either mechanical or chemical control in order to get a final solution on those things. But it, it really needs to be done. Um, looked at it, look, looking at Oak Park, which is where they were put in last. Yes. Um, looking at Oak Park with a biologist's eyes, it's just, I hate to say it, it's an awful weed patch. Mm. Yeah. Um, you've got the winter creeper, you've got the bush honeysuckle, uh, in the northeastern quadrant of it, there's a whole bunch of golden rain trees, and none of those things belong there. They're not native. Mm -hmm. You know, if I could snap my fingers and get rid of all three of those, I would. Mm -hmm. But at this point, it just, it's going to take some work. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it, I was tickled to see the goats in there. And <laughs> I think was, most uh, people are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go goats are all kinds of fun. <laughs> um, but the, uh, I was somewhat disappointed. It looked like they didn't have any interest in the winter creeper this weekend. Oh, mm. really? So they would get all these uh, things that were above ground level, but they didn't seem like they were really nibbling on the winter creeper much. So that's so interesting. That, that's that's going to be a real tough one to deal with. Mm -hmm. It is. Oh, all the rest of them are as well. But yeah, I was. Um, I'll, I'll be going back there this spring when things start to leaf out again to see uh, what sort of lasting impact it, it, it will have. Mm -hmm. One thing that's um, uh, one of my Riverside friends um, has done this and has advised other people to get in there and do it too, which I fully support. Is that now that everything has been kind of opened up, you can see all the trash that's in there really easy. Yes. Mm. So, yes, please, go over there and take a bag with you, a bucket, and pick stuff up where you can see it. Yeah, anytime you go on a hike, mm. it's a great idea to just take a little trash bag. Walking Margie through there, it's it's a popular spot. you mm. know. And she's she's the, the best dog ever, in my she own is. opinion. Um, but she's a little reactive to other people and other dogs, so anytime... We're coming. We're we're meeting someone on that tiny little, you know, six foot wide trail. There's not a lot of space like now since the ghosts have come and gone. It's opened like a whole new like I, I didn't know this little path existed, and this like it's mm. it's actually it's widened. It's made it a little bit bigger, and again, it's not, that's kind of it seems like it's a temporary little fix. Um, but I don't know. I think the goats were didn't just have like a biological or ecological impact. Certainly, it brought people. And families out to the park mm -hmm. yeah, and then they realize like i didn't realize this part of the park exists you know there's a lot more people walking through the forest and seeing oh there's a lot of barred owls that live in this area you know mm -hmm. and those are that's super cool to see mm -hmm. yeah there's um been uh, red-shouldered hawks over there yeah. as, as well as uh owls and barred owls mm -hmm. um there's a whole historical aspect to that too. It goes back to the late 20s, 27, 28, I think is when the area was landscaped initially mm -hmm. after it was purchased as a park. And you can, when you open up some of these areas, you maybe notice this, some of these edging of um, limestone along pathways. Mm -hmm. That was something that was done back in the early days. And I've always crossed my fingers and kind of hoped that at some point that they would uncover these things and reestablish them because I think it's a cool feature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm ready to get into Riverside history. Yeah, if... so you said the Wichita Wichita's Riverside Park started as a program you were, you know, developing. Just as focused on the zoo only. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then your second book I read came because you found all the vintage postcards in your research of the first book, right. which is crazy. But Yeah, when I was doing that book, I 
discovered a picture of postcards, and I thought, boy, have I got a Jones for those things. <laughs> um, at any rate, um, and then I learned that there was this rule in the, in the images of America series, there's this rule where you can only use a minor percentage of postcards oh, in, really? in that series. And I, I asked my um, acquisitions editor, well, why is that? And then I learned it's because they can that way they can preserve the franchise for this whole series of books that they do where you can only use picture postcards. Oh, mm. okay. So, um, and, um, you know, you, when you do a book, um, particularly a history book, where you're constantly looking for new information, you know, it, was, it wasn't a week after I put that book to bed that, oh, I came up with this other picture postcard and this other <laughs> <laughs> man, I wish I could have put that in the book. And so uh, and I had the opportunity to use a bunch of that in the, in the postcard history book. I was stunned to learn that um, no one had done one yet for Wichita. Because yeah. there was just a, um, in fact, a, there was a, a pioneering book called Peerless Princess of the Plains that was put out as by uh, the Jostens Yearbook Company in like 76, 77. That has a pic, it, it does it uses all picture postcards to tell um, Wichita stories, and it you know it's basically the first one ever done anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I was astonished to learn that uh, no one had ever picked that up and uh, picked up that that notion and done that for uh, Arcadia for the postcard history series. So um, I asked them if they would like me to do that for my sophomore effort. They said sure, and so. That came out in 2012. So. Wow, that's that amazing. So cool. But yeah, the, the Riverside History Book came started out as a, a slide program, a 35 millimeter slide program, where I was just talking about the zoo itself. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one year I went to a professional conference down in Oklahoma, and there was a gal there from Oklahoma City who'd done this cute little coffee table book about the history of the Oklahoma City Zoo. Mm -hmm. I looked at that and I thought, I could probably do that. <laughs> and so I approached the, the publisher and they said, yeah, well, let's roll the dice and see what can happen. They, the Arcadia makes it very easy to do. They provide you a template mm -hmm. with uh, instructions for how you can do these things. Like if you've got two images per page, you're supposed to limit your, mm. your caption to so many. If you've mm -hmm. got one image per page, or if you're doing the two-page spread, then it all varies. And, you're supposed to have a minimum of 180 and maximum of 100 and 210 photographs or whatever. And then and you can make the introduction so big, you can have an index if you want to. Yeah. Yeah, just in case you guys don't know, Images of America is a whole series. They do, you can find the books for most cities in some yeah. kind of location in the town. So yeah, it's a it's a whole series all across the country. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, right now there's about like 10 or 11 Wichita books. Oh, there is now, yeah. really? Wow. Living in, and, yeah. just living in Riverside for the last almost two years now. I've never really had the biggest interest in hit like again i'm a i'm a young s stupid guy so like <laughs> it's taken living in like a historic part of the town i was raised in for me to be like to super really interested and i mean brianna yeah. said he's a, jim's a wichita historian he's got these books and i was like this is amazing because mm -hmm. just in the last couple of months have i been trying to i've been coming here and wanting to find old pictures and in, information and then and now i just here you are you're right in front of me. Like it's better Here's than the all, yeah, exactly. all better than all any of that stuff I could have ever found in a library on the internet. And just like flipping through this book this morning, it's astonishing to me how much has changed. But one of the biggest like things I see or notice is that the river, especially downtown, it isn't used for recreation as much anymore. Probably do. To, I mean, I see people, I see um, the Wichita State rowing team using mm. it for practice. And that's honestly all I see besides the, the waterfowl that kind of use it. So you um, think it's dwindled? I, I, it's path. dwindled. I don't know. I mean, you, you hear people at like a, a river fest every year. They go out on the kayaks or, you know, in the summer, I know like a little party boat will kind of go through the closest arm of the river that gets to downtown. And they do nothing but complain about how smelly it is, how gross it is, just littered with trash. And it's really sad to see, but it also makes looking at these photos just yeah, cause the front, so the much front cooler. picture on the book is of the Wichita Boathouse. And the I mean, Wichita there's boat. 
kayaks yeah. and canoes and it's i mean amazing. tons of people on the I river mean, right now yeah and this guy getting ready to do it oh yeah, yeah. he's, <laughs> he's high diver. 25 feet i mean geez louise yeah and so what's your question i guess do, do I, you think what I happened honestly, with it I, I suppose like at what point like point blank is the Wichita, the Arkansas River that kind of goes through Wichita, is it just is it just much more disgusting than it was back then? You know, <laughs> in, in a biological perspective, you, you can't uh, get any aromas from old photographs. But that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the river has, and, and let's be clear, it's the, there's the Little River and then there's the Big Arkansas. Mm-hmm. There are two very very different streams. Um, and the Little River is is uh, a cleaner body of water, basically, um, even considering the amount of sediment and agricultural whatevers that come down from up north of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big river, um, it, it can be more saline, mm-hmm. depending upon uh, the time of year. It's supported somewhat by flows from Rattlesnake Creek and, and whatnot from up northwest of us between here and Great Bend, and that can make the river a little more saline. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can actually dwindle up to almost nothing. I mean, right now, if you go down and, and cross the, um, like the Harry Street Bridge mm-hmm. and look down, there's like, wait a minute, <laughs> it there's just, almost nothing down there. Yeah. And at that point, it includes both the Big River and the Little River. I so, noticed that after that big snowstorm we got just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, you look, oh, like the, the Keeper of the Plains, like bridges and everything, like you look mm-hmm. under that, at least on one wing of it, it's like almost dry. Mm-hmm. Like, man. Um, yeah, they've uh, they've been doing um, on the Big River. Uh, one thing that's going on uh, recently, at least above the Lincoln Street Dam, uh, they lowered it down. I don't know if they just lowered it down for this purpose or if they did other things while they had it lowered. But they went in and, and pulled all kinds of stuff out of the river. They pulled out about a hundred of those electric scooters. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That just they just put those into Wichita when like last five years. Yeah, within I mean yeah within the last five or six hundred years. Hundred of geez. them. Yeah, that, that's crazy. I mean I don't. There's the old expression. This is why we cannot have nice things. It's like <laughs> you jerks, you threw the thing. In the yeah, what the heck? Why? Why? <laughs> why do that? I don't. I don't get it. Um, and I can almost guarantee it was done by juvenile males. Oh, I guarantee it. <laughs> Uh, My question is, when it comes through your research in Riverside Parks, do you think there was any major development that had a significant impact on the way Wichita moved forward or uh, the way Wichita grew maybe as a community? Any buildings that were built or anything like that? Well, that was certainly the hope by the people who uh, planted and developed the Riverside area. Okay. Uh, in the late 1880s, uh, it was meant to be the premier residential subdivision of the city. Mm. Um, and it included everything uh, west of the Little River over to like Hamilton and then north of 13th. That was mm. initially Riverside. Mm-hmm. Um, Sim Park wasn't necessarily part of it. It wasn't Sim Park at the time, it was a pasture of some kind of other. Um, so, um, but then. It, it was created just right before Wichita's spectacular real estate boom and bust. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a couple, three uh, really nice homes that were built over there. I mean, they built this Riverside subdivision, they platted this Riverside subdivision, they bought the land, they divided it up, they filed the plat with the city. The idea was that they would sell house lots over there, people would buy the house lots from them, and they'd get rich. Um, and they had a lot of uh, New England money backing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city of Keene, New Hampshire, comes up in discussions, Boston. Wow. Uh, and so uh, not only did they plat this out, they built uh, the first bridge into the area, which you can not quite see in, the, in that photograph, but it was the Murdoch Bridge. Um, and they built it not just as a... a a wooden piling bridge with a plank decking. They built it on steel pilings with a, a, a trestle structure. It was uptown. 
And not only did they do that, uh, they created the first, one of the first, if not the first, electric streetcar line in the nation. Really? Uh, that connected downtown to Riverside, and then uh, initially they, they had another development that was around the Twin Lakes area that was called Alamo. And so they had six miles of electric streetcar line going up all the way up there. Um, and then, you know, when the, the boom busted, um, Alamo went away. They, they pulled up the tracks all the way back to Franklin Street in Riverside. And um, it just kind of languished for the next decade until the late 1890s. Um, we had, again, some far-sighted people, uh, Fenley Ross and um, Ben McLean, uh, promoted a $14,000 bond issue. <laughs> <laughs> Big money. <laughs> to buy up the land that would become Central, North, and South Riverside Parks. Wow. I'm making into public parks. And this was all contingent upon convincing the Riverside Land Company to sell them the land for a tenth of the value that it had a decade prior. Jeez. They got a hundred bucks an acre instead of a thousand bucks an acre, uh, which, which happened. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the selling points was that okay, we'll finally realize this, this goal of having a public park there, and that will make your house lots more desirable, and you'll finally get those house mm -hmm. lots sold. And so that, that's how that got started. So with $14,000, they bought up 103 acres. They built two bridges. I mean, the money kind of went in ways back then, and they added amenities to the park. Mm -hmm. So that was the start of the Crown Jewels of the Wichita Park System was there, and that um, bond issue to purchase the Riverside Parks happened in late 1897. I'm so sorry. This is killing me to have to do this, but we are about at our time limit. Mm. Our, I could talk um, to I know, hours. and I was like, our amazing <laughs> guest has other super cool stuff he's got to get to today. But we kind of agreed on a time, and we're approaching it. And I, I think that's time. all that... We'll have to just have them on again. Yeah, because we're I could. Have we'll have <laughs> to do like a series or something. Yes, there you go. <laughs> like, don't toss. Don't just donate it just yet. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> you do want to use it to listen to the episode as well, but. Well, hopefully it will work. I mean, I've never plugged it in and tried it. So oh really? Hopefully it um, I really wanted to ask at the end, of course, this being the end of our podcast, but um, I think. Right now, in the state of the world, the state of the nation, whatever, getting back to local... The state of the state. The state of the state. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting back to, you know, local community activism um, is there. Obviously, that can be really daunting, you know, trying to start something. Um, is there anything you would tell people about getting involved in their community, learning about their community? Like, I just feel like people are so disconnected from, you know, what it takes to actually be a community that works together and, you know, toward these common goals that we should have. Yeah, it, it doesn't happen on social media. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> if anything, that helps, that prevents it from happening, I think. Hmm. But, um, <clears throat> I mean, it can enable in great ways, used mm -hmm. properly. But um, uh, it, it's, it's an unreal thing compared to actually talking to people face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. uh, going to city council meetings, going to park board meetings, going to uh, anything like that, um, getting involved with uh, public service projects, um, and any kind of activity like that where you, can, where you can benefit the community through direct personal involvement. Um, I think that's, that's the way to at least get started. Mm -hmm. When you can physically see something that happens because you did it, yeah, um, that it's really empowering. Yeah, it's really empowering. Because I mean, you look at the Great Plains Nature Center today, and you just have like, my heart would just swell. You know, is it something you worked for so long on? You know, I mean, it's incredible, and you guys had that direct impact, and it's just mm -hmm. like a testament to you can have an impact in your mm -hmm. community when you work towards something with people. You know. Like I say, it does help to have the right people in the right places mm -hmm. at each step in the organization. Um, but uh, you know, I think Bob and I would both agree that if it wasn't there, 
and we were to start it right now to try to get this done, it might not happen. Because mm-hmm. maybe the, we just don't have the people there to push it at each level where mm-hmm. it needs to be pushed. Mm-hmm. So it was all just kind of meant to be at that point. Like, yeah, like the was, stars yeah. just aligned mm-hmm. at that moment. The yeah. eagle flew overhead and was like, well, that's it. Yeah. I'm pretty stubborn. I'm pretty intent on doing what I want to do mm-hmm. with that one property. But um, I cannot thank you enough for coming on to My Fellow Human. Like Garrett said, I think we're going to have to have you on again because we didn't even touch half of the stuff mm-hmm. that I wanted to yeah. ask. But um, yeah, I really, really appreciate you coming yes, on. Thank you very much. Is there anything you want yeah. listeners to, I mean, is there, any, they can find your book, both your books at the Great Plains Nature Center. You can also find them on Amazon, but if you want to support the Great Plains Nature mm-hmm. Center, you know, or your buy, local bookstore, or your local bookstore, you know, yeah. go buy them there. I'd much prefer that. But um, is there anything you're doing that you want people to know about? Because I doubt, I mean, with all the things you've accomplished, I don't see you stopping anytime soon. <laughs> well, I've, um, I do carry on with the, the history bit. Uh, a bit more now. through a, a Facebook group called uh, Wichita History from My Perspective. Mm. I'm one of the admins for that site. And that there's some really great conversations that have there, happen there. Myself and some other folks that are really keen on getting this stuff um, written down properly. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we stumble across stuff. It's like right now I've got a half a dozen different geophoto postcards that I've kind of itching to make posts about because I think they tell some cool stories. Mm-hmm. And um, and that, that's, that's I, I do that. And um, My wife and I are going to, uh, got season tickets to uh, Chamber Music uh, Series in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So we've been putting in a lot of windshield time going back to <laughs> yeah, Kansas man. City for these things and, and making the Courtyard Marriott rich. Keeping the lights up. And then, you know, we've got our farm property. Else. I was going to say, you and Helen have a farm in Osage County, mm-hmm. don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, we don't get up there a whole lot in the wintertime, but uh, come spring, that'll be a good place to get away and enjoy some peace and quiet. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, again, thank you so very much for joining us today. Um, everyone, I'm going to put all these links um, to bike across, Biking Across Kansas, your Facebook group, if you want to send me that link, I'll put it in our description. And uh, yeah, you can find all that information mm-hmm. there. So yeah. find these books. I mean, if you have friends Seriously, that have the books already, so steal cool. them from them like I'm about to do. Yeah. And it's <laughs> another means of. Yeah, this book actually um, my grandma had because her, my grandma's husband, his mom bought this book and you signed it. Mm-hmm obviously in 2011 and she bought it because at one point her parents lived in the second boathouse because the first one caught fire and then they built a second one and it was small apartments she said in there she they lived in there so that's why she when she found this book she really just had to have it you know (laughs) yeah that's neat to see yeah it's neat to see my children come back and Yeah, Yeah. no kidding. Well, thank you again. Um, And I guess we'll see you next time. Absolutely. And and I'll say that if you don't live in Wichita, you may not necessarily have a a big interest in any of these books. But like Brianna said, wherever you're from, Mm -hmm. uh, check out the Arcadia books and see Mm -hmm. if there isn't a book about your town. Because Mm -hmm. chances are there is. Or if there isn't, maybe you should write one. Yeah. (laughs) Love that. Doors open. Yeah. Sounds like. I mean, well, like you said, you reached out to them and they were like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so. And I, another part of the story I usually tell myself is that <clears throat> when I was given the uh, 35 millimeter slide programs and whatnot, sometimes the member of the audience would come up to me and say, you know, you're going to write a book about this. <laughs> and I always say that. If you'd asked any of my high school English teachers, is that kid over there going to write a book, much less a book about history of Wichita? No, not that one. No, 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 no. Not that but, student. Uh, you know, I kind of got with the program and got to screwing the words down on the paper, and mm-hmm. I, I got it done. There you go. So, it was fun. It's a testament to what you can really accomplish if you mm-hmm. set your mind to something. Absolutely. Sure. So. Get out there and do it. Dude, we are recording again. Um, we have a little outro for you for future Brianna when it comes to editing. Yes, and, future Brianna. Um, 
I, there, there was never a point where I thought he, like I was, I, I never, there was never a point where I didn't have 10 million questions to ask him <laughs> about like a completely different subject. Like every yeah. second it seemed like that man was talking, I had a new million questions I just needed answers to from him in that moment. You and know? you know what blows my mind about Jim? is his recollection of years and names of companies Mm -hmm. and people and like i can hardly remember anything from yesterday you know what i mean yeah he's just so incredibly intelligent and informed Mm -hmm. on wichita being i mean just so everyone knows he let's see he grew up in wichita only a few blocks from the arkansas river so like he's completely native Mm -hmm. to wichita i mean born and raised and he has gone on obviously to KU but he came back to Wichita and he helped develop his community and it's just he is now as much as he is interested in the history of Wichita he is a part of history absolutely and like if you not to call him an old man but he is certainly like if you couldn't (laughs) tell he is not the the youngest man in Mm -hmm. at least in this room but I, I just don't know man like he's who I want to be when I grow up (laughs) <laughs> and again, I, I'm fresh off like the 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 recording high a little mm-hmm. bit. Those endorphins get going. Yeah. Especially when you talk to someone really cool and you're like, dude, I want to well, do everything you've done. How do I do that? You know. Well, and like why I wanted to ask him about the biking across Kansas is because that is a hobby he developed after he retired. Exactly. You, know, you don't hear a lot about people developing. I mean, they pick up hobbies here and there, but I mean, he just really went for it, mm-hmm. and that is really inspiring because as we've talked about multiple times it's hard to start Mm -hmm. something you're not good at so i will say like that's some garrett lyon compulsive (laughs) you know i really felt that energy coming on i just kind of did it and i was like god damn well and that's awesome ended the podcast just just go do it yeah just do it dude and i could sound like a nike ad (laughs) (laughs) but we recorded this session all in person at the in downtown Wichita at the Wichita Public Library Advanced Learning Center. Yeah, we wanted um, to give them a shout out yeah. because the room is perfect for what we needed. Mm-hmm. Sound, It is soundproof for the most part. They have free Wi-Fi, electrical hookups, bunch of resources. and I think we really just wanted to shout them out because libraries, I feel like, are so taken for granted most of the time. It is free to come here to the Wichita Public Library, get a library card. You can use their computers. You can rent books, rent movies, music. There's so many things. Mm -hmm. Collaboration rooms. Garrett and I were just talking. We want to go check out here at the Advanced Learning Center. They have an AV audio video, obviously, like recording studio. Mm -hmm. You can go in there. You can record your own music. You can edit things. I mean, it's use this your your tax dollars are going toward mm-hmm. this use this resource one know? of our uh, podcast guests we've had on a couple of times carrie shout out to carrie she said she's interested in taking a the 3d printing course that they offer here and uh, upon completion of the course you can use you their... can you get to use their 3d printing facilities for free as long as you pay for the materials used for to print your yeah the filament product or what yeah the product of the machine so i mean yeah. it's the coolest thing they i mean i'll get a hold of their website they are constantly doing workshops and you, know, you don't have to be a college student paying fifty thousand dollars a semester to utilize like this stuff you know yeah haven't you guys seen goodwill hunting <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah i just we wanted to shout them out definitely at the end obviously thank you jim again for coming on you are an incredible guest we mm-hmm. want to have you on like tomorrow um but yes, thank you, the Advanced Learning Center, for giving us a space to do it, too. Because I don't know, I felt I really like recording with you in person. It, it is a different. We don't get to do it yes. often. And it is a completely different environment. And so uh, just, yeah, thanks, uh, Wichita Public Library, for giving us that space mm-hmm. to do it. And they even know who we are. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> they know what we're doing. I wonder if we should tell them. That we'll have this podcast and we'll shout them out. We could put their link in the description too, so you can get more information about your public. Because listen, m- the majority of our listeners are obviously out of Wichita. Again, most people who listen to us live here. Yes. A lot of people don't, but mm-hmm. you know, same thing applies. Go to your local libraries. All the things that you know Jim was talking about can be transferred to your local community. Yeah, there's got to be. And- 
the advanced learning library is not just some crazy like off the wall <laughs> like masterpiece of an idea someone thought of like there's definitely they t they take inspiration from from elsewhere yeah you know, just so. like jim did to write his books yeah exactly um yeah but if you are interested in finding any of his books um fine you can go to the link in our description i'll probably post something there but um yeah that was awesome yeah <laughs> once again i'm garrett and i'm brianna we'll see you guys next week